It's been a really strange offseason. Vis-a-vis dogs running onto the field. You made it. We're not sabermetricians. That's all behind us now. Yeah, I got in trouble, but it was worth it. It was totally worth it. It was worth it. Totally worth it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Flushing Transit Authority, a New York Mets podcast. I'm Will Stegman, and I'm here with Jay Bushman. Jay, how are you today? To coin a phrase, Will, I'm amazing. Whoa, that could catch on. You think? So am I. Normally, you know, when we do this, we talk a little bit about how you're doing, but what we're going to do is we're going to get right into the action because I am super excited, (laughs) and I want to strike while the exciting iron is hot. Let's talk about the amazing hot start of the New York Mets. Five and one, six games into the season, we are on a pace for them to go, I believe it's 145 and 17. Yes. As I think of, they can do that. As of today, they are playing at an 880 winning percentage. That's sustainable. Totally and sustainable. Look, just because no one has ever done it doesn't mean this <laughs> isn't the team. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling Mickey Calloway. I am super on board. I love small sample sizes. <laughs> Let's just revisit a couple of things we've talked about recently. One, as I proposed, the Mets are going to win at least 120 games this year. Okay, looking good. That's I'd looking like real to good. update that to 140. 140. All right. Double down. Um, I'm feeling great about the start the Mets have been off to. Um, the thing we always talk about as Mets fans is waiting for the other shoe to drop. Mm-hmm. So you really have to sit here and enjoy these moments while they're here. Exactly. Like, and that's what I'm... It could be so easy for everything to have gone the other way. Yes. Uh, a butterfly flaps its wings in Venezuela, and Mickey Calloway's first week looks more like Gabe Kapler's. Oh, man. Gabe Kapler, that's a guy having a rough yeah. couple of days. But, I mean, the, the, the interesting thing there I, I've been thinking a lot about is how, you know, like a couple of bounces go a different way we would be reacting the same way the Phillies fans are reacting to Gabe Kapler. Absolutely. I mean, if Ahmed Rosario doesn't drive that ball over the outfielder's head, well, you know what? Gabe Kapler's made a great move. Yes. Um, You know, I believe over the course of a season, these things are going to even out. And while I think that Gabe Kapler's decisions have sort of taken a hit because he is so publicly and openly... Mm -hmm. Um, not had success, I respect the fact that he's going for it. But forget any other team. (laughs) You know, every year we come into the year with these big expectations, and then when the team fails to live up to them, they put themselves in a hole. Mm. The best part about this first week of the season is they haven't put themselves in a hole. They're not digging their own grave. We are practically giddy over here. You can hear it. We're like, we're just so, so jazzed. And it's because we're four games over 500 a week into the season. And I'm super excited. So now, because we're Mets fans and because, you know, we're us, I I do want to take the moment to say not everything is 100% perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, The Sunday afternoon curse seems to continue. Uh, Last year, the Mets could not seem to get out of their way on a Sunday afternoon game. And the one game they have lost so far this year was a Sunday afternoon. So we're, we're fortunate in that tomorrow's uh, game is uh, the ESPN game. So it's in the evening. So that will be exempt from the curse. But until we start winning some Sunday afternoon games, I, I will still be a little, a, a little leery of that. Yes, I agree. I was out um, watching the uh, Sunday night game. Uh, sorry, the Sunday afternoon game last week, and um, it did not go well. No. <laughs> um, as they say with the Mets, never on Sunday. Um, but, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic that this could be our Sunday. You know what is weird? Because of a quirk of where the schedule started, the Mets have not played two Fridays in a row. Yeah. Something with that. Of course, you know, during the season, that's really strange. I don't remember them ever, like, having a scheduled Friday off. Friday mm-hmm. has always been sort of my favorite night of the week to watch mm-hmm. baseball. I get home from work, and, you know, again, us living on the West Coast, the game kicks off at 4 o'clock. I have Howie and Josh in the car on the way home. I get home to switch to Gary, Keith, and Ron when I get in the house. And then my weekend starts. Yeah. The game's over by 7, 7.30 Pacific time. I have dinner, and I have my weekend. 
And last night, all I could do was just be giddy <laughs> about the way things are going. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, things could have gone the other way. Very easily. But they didn't. Yes, they didn't. So let's, let's just, let's luxuriate in this. We've had this one week and everything seems to be working pretty much perfectly for the most part. Let's savor that. I mean, think about this. Um, that's one a game where Noah Syndergaard went four innings. Yeah, yeah. Um, on Wednesday, Jacob deGrom loads the bases with nobody out in a two-run game. Bryce Harper comes to the plate. Actually, no, Bryce Harper came to the plate with two men on, walked. deGrom somehow pulls a Houdini act. And in that moment, I'm like, the Mets are winning the World Series, I believe. One week ago... Would you have believed it if someone would tell you that not only would Hansel Robles be back on the team so quickly, but that of the seven batters he would face, he would strike out six of them? Yeah. No, you just don't know. And I think that um, what I'm really liking about Mickey Calloway, um, and it, you know, first, again, just it's a new face. Um, no offense to the past regime, but it's always nice to see... Um, somebody new. Um, All of his dugout. bonehead mistakes are in the future. That's exactly yes. the best way to put it. <laughs> All of his mistakes are still ahead of us. Um, but the thing that I've really enjoyed is his use of the bullpen mm -hmm. and the way he has taken what would be traditionally considered un... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, unconventional mm -hmm. bullpen use, but for him is quite conventional. If you look at what he did in Cleveland, he did an excellent job of putting relievers in situations where they can succeed. Um, because your past numbers are all context-driven. Yeah. And that's the thing people forget. You know, you look at numbers, and you know, I'm a big fan of, of numbers to a point, but numbers in context is what matters. Mm -hmm. And putting Hansel Robles in a position where he can succeed may be the difference between... Um, Again, whatever he decides to do, mm -hmm. whatever Robles does going forward, he's gotten off to a good start. I really only have one issue so far in the first week. There's only one thing that kind of kind of has been bothering me. And bother is not even actually the right word, okay. as, as, as this will become apparent. Uh, and I have to make a confession here uh, on, on the mic right now. I, I'm having some podcast envy. How so? Have you been listening at all to the new um, Daily Mets podcast that Josh Lewin has been doing? I have not had a chance to yet. First of all, it's a great listen. But yeah. that's not why I have podcast envy. Every day, uh, Josh Lewin will do um, about a 15 to 20 minute short little pod about the events of the day. And especially, and we've talked about this off mic, living on the West Coast if you don't happen to have the you know mega top level DirecTV package, you don't get SNY. Right. You can't watch the post game. You can't listen to the pregame. You're at the mercy of MLB TV cutting out whenever they feel like right. it. So I don't get to hear a lot of the pre and the post game stuff. So this is a nice sort of substitute for it. But that's not even why I have podcast envy. Will I have podcast envy because Josh has a theme song. Oh. He has a theme song. That not, and not only is it you know a a specially created theme song for the Daily Mets podcast, but the lyrics of his theme song work his name into the rhyme scheme, and like I listen to it every day, and I'm just I'm just burning with envy. I will tell you that I'm a big fan of theme music. You may hear her in the background. My dog is sitting about five <laughs> feet from me right now. My dog, Olive, is sitting here. Now, a few months ago, I commissioned someone to write a theme song for <laughs> Olive. And they did. So perhaps what we need to do is work out some themes. Yes. Well, I'd like to actually throw this open to our, you know, our vast listening audience right. and, and give them a challenge on, like, coming up with some lyrics for a theme song for Flushing Transit Authority. Now... 
there's a little bit of a cheat here in that both of our last names end with man. Yes. So if you want to try and rhyme something for both of our last names, it's it's not as difficult as it might be if that wasn't the case. But right. But let's throw this open to the audience and see what they uh, see what they come up with. Anyone have to, again? If you think of a rhyme for one of our names, you think you've thought of both. Yeah. Now I have not heard Josh Lewin's theme song. But I can only think of a limited number of words. I'll tell you that what it is. With this, is this is a this is this is the these are all the lyrics to the song. Are you okay. ready? It's it's the Daily Mets podcast. It's the Daily Mets podcast. It's where you're gonna find out what the Mets are doing. It's nice. the Daily Mets podcast. It's the Daily Mets podcast. And here's your host, Josh Lewin. And that's just, I mean, like, can you give a Nobel Prize? for podcast theme songs because that's just just you know it's it's gorgeous in its simplicity it's an economy of language yes it's you know we all know maybe we don't all know but like when when dr seuss wrote green eggs and ham it's because he was trying to write something with under 50 words in it (laughs) not total but 50 individual words Mm -hmm. and i gotta tell you whoever put this pod whatever songwriting genius it's good to see that the greats are putting their work yeah to, yeah. to good use. Use your gift, people. Yeah. If you're a lyrical genius, <laughs> think of something here. Because the thing is, when I start thinking of songs, just invariably, it all gets filthy. <laughs> Why I'm not a songwriter is I only thought of one ro- one thing that rhymed with Lewin, and it wasn't doing, and that's why I am not a podcast jingle writer. Right, right. Um, so how do we keep this going? Well, um, we need a rain out in Washington today. No, that's 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 not kind. Um, you know, we we're here. All right, so here we are today, actually, on the 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 one fault line, the one story so far that could be like a little, and it's Stephen Matz. Yes. And so, if Stephen Matz comes out today and pitches well, then you know, let's let's start planning for the parade. As far as I'm concerned, <laughs> if he doesn't pitch well then I'm pretty sure half of the fan base will want to chip in to buy him a plane ticket out of town. Well, no in-between. To be fair, um, Stephen Metz grew up on Long Island, so when he gets his plane ticket out of town, either he's going to go, well, I guess he would end up going to Vegas. I believe, actually, he, if, if, if my memory of the off-season um, gossip pages is correct, I believe Stephen Metz now lives in Memphis uh-huh. because he married a country singer. That's good for Steven. Yes. Nice. I've been meaning to get to Memphis for a number of reasons. Memphis or Nashville or somewhere in Tennessee. You know what? We'll figure that out. Yeah. Um, if you know where Steven Metz lives, please tell us off the air. Um, <laughs> nice Long Island boy like myself. Um, so, yeah, what I'm worried about is, not even worried about, but I've had such a great like start first week of the season. And what it makes me think of is superstitions Mm. and what you do to keep things going yeah we all have that thing where oh they lost because i wasn't wearing whatever you know when i when i used to watch the nfl a lot more than i do Mm -hmm. um i was a very big new york jets fan and i'm look there's a reason i'm not anymore and most of it has to do with my feelings about the nfl but when i was watching the jets regularly every sunday I would take all of my Jets-themed clothing, and I had about a dozen different Jets t-shirts, jerseys, caps, and I would lay them all out. And then when the game started, I would switch them based on what I thought was luckiest. Mm. Eventually, I got to a point where when the game started, I would put all of the jerseys on. (laughs) I would stack like eight shirts. And just in case, just in case. And then if something bad happened, clearly whatever I had on top was unlucky and I would take it off. So by the end of the game, I either had the luckiest Jersey on or nothing on because I'm a big believer in doing what you got to do to keep the magic going. That's interesting because it sounds like in your superstition framework, there are the things that work and the things that don't work. Yes. And in my superstition framework, there are no things that work. There's just don't do this because it might screw up whatever the good things are happening. I hear you. I am not. See, I'm a believer that the Mets on TV or radio cannot hear me. So let's just say there's a no hitter going. 
I can say no hitter a million times. They can't hear me. Right. What they can do is feel me mm. and sense me. Yes. Yes. And know if I am on board. Mm-hmm. And that's just my thing. So whatever I'm doing while something good is happening, keep doing it. If I'm standing on one foot and the Mets load the bases with nobody out, that other foot is not hitting the ground until something happens. If I'm sitting outside, I can't come inside. Right. That for me is the big one is where am I? Like, am I, am I in the car listening to a game and then I get somewhere and I need to go, but nope, I, I can't leave because if I do, then, then things might go wrong. Yes. So this brings me to a very specific story mm-hmm. about keeping the magic alive and superstitions. Um, I'm going to take you back a couple of years. Okay. This is something not only that I know you will remember, but you and I discussed this in real time as it was happening. Oh, yeah. So I'm going to take you back to 2012. Okay. Specifically, June 1st, 2012. I must have blocked out whatever happened on June 1st, 2012. Oh, I don't think that you did. No. So... On that day, it's a Friday. The Mets are middling. Nothing mm-hmm. really going on. Oh, it's... wait a minute. I think I remember. There you okay, go. I keep going. Yeah. It's June. Yeah. So they're not out of it. Mm-hmm. But they're not necessarily in it. But there's a lot that could happen. There's a lot of season left. It's Friday. And for some reason, I had some projects going on. So I ended up working late on Friday. Mm-hmm. Normally, on Friday, as I told you, I like to get home yeah. and watch the game. This day, I couldn't do it. So I... Also, because I was busy on a conference call, couldn't tune in the radio broadcast while I was working. So I'm just busy, and occasionally I'm just looking at a score, and the Mets are playing the St. Louis Cardinals. The then world champion, defending world champion, garbage St. Louis Cardinals. (laughs) And Johan Santana is taking the mound. Yes. And I am busy till about the third inning, so I'm not really paying any attention to what's going on. Um, I finally finish up work around 5 o'clock, um, which again is not a late day, but was later than I would normally be working on a Friday. And I realized, you know what, I don't want to deal with traffic. I'm going to just head to the gym mm-hmm. instead of driving home. So at about the start of the fourth inning, I get to the gym, I put the radio broadcast on, put my earbuds in. And then I look at the scoreboard, and I realize Johan hasn't given up a hit yet. But it's early. He's mm-hmm. only gone through three innings. Sure. It's a home game. So, whatever. I just say to myself, hey, look, somebody's got a no-hitter going through three. Nothing to get excited about, but it beats the alternative. <laughs> so I start running on a treadmill. At this point, keep in mind, I am in... Good shape. I'm not bragging, but like three months earlier, I had run a marathon. Mm -hmm. So I was in good shape, but I had also injured myself while running that marathon. So I was really at a point where the only running I was supposed to be doing was jogging about a maximum of about three miles. Normally, that'll take me, you know, at a sort of a slow pace, 30, 35 minutes. Mm -hmm. Um... So that's all I was planning on doing. Listen to the game, jogging for 30 minutes, get in the car, listen to the rest on the way home. Fourth inning, Santana takes the mound at the bottom of the fourth, doesn't give up a hit. Fantastic. We're going into the fifth. I think at this point I may have said to Nina, Nina is my wife who is not on mic but has been on the show before, um, I slowed the treadmill down and I texted her real quick just to say, hey, I can't tell you why, But can you do me a favor and flip to the Mets SNY broadcast and hit record? Just in case. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I figured at that point, whatever magic I was trying to get going was jinxing it. Right. After five, when Santana has not given up a hit, I realize he's got this no hitter going because I am on this treadmill. Absolutely. I cannot get off this treadmill Mm -hmm. until he gives up a hit. So, at this point, we're through five innings. I've done my 30 minutes, three miles. Mm -hmm. And this is the point where 
if I want to preserve my body, because I did just injure it running a marathon, I need to get off of this treadmill. Oh, like, but you're I, not going to do that. I had been to a physical therapist, and they're <laughs> like, look, just don't push yourself. You know, stay, mm-hmm. stay in shape, but don't run more than you have to. You're going to hurt mm-hmm. your hip. Um, like, okay, cool. But the thing is, like all of us at that point, I had been a Mets fan my entire life. Mm-hmm. And as we've said many times on this podcast, I was a Mets fan because my father was a Mets fan. And one of the things we always talked about was how no Mets pitcher had ever thrown a no-hitter. Especially for a pitching-rich franchise. That exactly. It just never happened. No, we talked about it all yeah. the time as a kid. Um, I mean, I still, to this day, like... Oh, they've gone through two innings. No, giving up no hits. Maybe, maybe today's the day. Well, and then like, my, like, my favorite thing is when Chris Majkowski on as from Mets booth will always tweet like, "Not tonight, folks." <laughs> it's, my, it's one of my favorite yeah. sort of things. So like, my dad and I would always talk like, ah, about the time like Seaver came close. Mm-hmm. You know, Seaver gave up a perfect game in the ninth, and you know, I saw a couple of near no hitters. I remember Gooden taking a no hitter. Into the ninth. Do you remember, uh, it was probably, I can't remember if it was 99 or 2000, where Rick Reed brought a no-hitter into the eighth. Yeah. The seventh or the eighth. I was on, I was still living in New York, and I was on the subway and going somewhere. And you know how, like, when you're on the subway in New York and you have to change trains every so often? Yeah. I would get to a place where I'd need to change trains. I would run up to the street so I could listen to hear if he still had the no-hitter, and he did, and then I would go back down, and I would get the next train, and then I would right. run up, and then one of those times I went up, and I listened, and I heard him give up a hit, and I was like, oh, damn it, see? It's my fault. Sorry, well, Rick you know, my fault. You, you left the safe place. I left the safe place of the train. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I'm on this treadmill, and I'm hitting three miles, mm-hmm. four miles, and my hip is hurting me, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I really want to see them continue this. You got to play through the pain. But... If he gave up a hit right now, it wouldn't be the worst thing because I can get off of this. Oh, you were bargaining at that yeah. point. Yeah. So I think at some point I text you mm-hmm. or, or email you and be like, hey, I can't tell you why, but do you have the game on? So we are I'm following along. and Now, if memory serves, I had actually just started monitoring the game because I was still at work. And I couldn't really listen, but you could put up game day. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. What's happening here? And then, like, as I started watching, that's when you texted me. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I just saw. Holy crap. Right. And it's like, okay, nobody talk about it. Nobody talk about it. But talk about it. So we all sort of agree that this amazing thing is, is maybe going down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have all of the sort of ghosts that we bring with us. Mm-hmm. The near misses, mm-hmm. the fact that for a pitching rich franchise, for a team that had um, Tom Seaver, who threw a no hitter as a Cincinnati Red, who had Nolan Ryan, who mm-hmm. threw seven no hitters with mm-hmm. other organizations. Think about the people who the Mets had traded, you know, who then went on to either throw a no hitter or, in some cases, a perfect game. Mm-hmm. Um, it's incredible. Yeah. And us and the Padres. We never did it. Yeah. But I feel like on this night, I am on this treadmill, and I am keeping this no-hitter alive. <laughs> so I'm going four miles, five miles. I turn the treadmill down. I'm like, okay, I can't run anymore. I'm in pain. But I can walk this. Mm-hmm. Like, we'll walk it off. That's how I finished my first marathon. I mm-hmm. ran as far as I could. I'm like, can't run anymore. We're going to walk the rest. You cross the finish line either way. So I'm going... And I'm going again. It keeps going. We're in the seventh inning, and I feel like I am either going to die on this treadmill <laughs> or Johan Santana is going to pitch a no-hitter. And, you know, I'm listening to the radio broadcast, and Howie is doing the call, and Josh Lewin was not his partner that year. Was that, you know what, I have to go back and look. Yeah. Josh may have been there that year, Josh Lewin, you know we're a big fan of your work. Mm-hmm. I forget if you were... Howie is the voice I hear in my head. Um, and he's talking about it in sort of oblique ways, mm-hmm. making reference to it without actually saying it. Now, 
there are two moments that almost make me fall off of my treadmill that that mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. One is what I now am willing to admit is certainly a blown call that should have been a double by Carlos Beltran. Mm-hmm. Now, in the record books, Johan pitched a no-hitter, and we're going to call it that forever. But if you go back and watch that game, which remember, I'm listening to it. I'm not watching it. Mm-hmm. That was a fair ball. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's never speak of that again. Speak of what? I don't exactly. know what you're talking about. The second... Blame Beltran. Yes. And this is the thing that sent me down this road is the Mike Baxter catch. Oh, the Mike Baxter catch. I will tell you that I st- the reason I'm telling you about this no-hitter today is not because I was really thinking about the no-hitter. What I was thinking about was Mike Baxter. Mm-hmm. Because at the beginning of the season, when you see a guy like Philip Evans, who makes the roster, yeah. um, gets an at-bat, gets sent back down, you think about guys like Mike Baxter. Guys who are the best baseball player that you and I will ever meet. Mm -hmm. They're better at baseball than we are at anything. And yet, the game is so tough that those guys who are the best baseball player of anyone they know um, can't stick. Get a cup of coffee. But in that moment, like we have Mike Baxter to thank Mm -hmm. for preserving that. That Mike Baxter catch is just one of the... One of the all-out, throw your body at it, you know, just love of the game. Both you and Mike Baxter gave up your bodies for this (laughs) no-hitter. I think that he, and as did Santana. Yes. Um, Because if my memory serves me correctly... Did Johan Santana start another game? Well, well, well. Let, let's let's come back to that. I don't want to derail your your story at yeah. this point, but put a pin in that. Yes. We'll come back to that. So, I'm listening, and at this point, it's the eighth inning, mm-hmm. and I'm super hyped up, and I'm like, I can't believe this is happening. I can't get off this treadmill, and then I realize that Howie's talking about it. Holy crap! Santana's thrown a lot of pitches. Mm-hmm. Now, if it was anybody but a veteran like Santana on the mound. And in today's game, six years later, yeah, never, never, he gets pulled. Yeah. Even with the no hitter, he gets pulled out of that game. So here's, you know, who I was thinking of in that moment is, is, is I was remembering, uh, game five of the 2000 world series when Bobby Valentine left Al lighter in to throw like 140 something pitches. Yeah. And just like, oh, like, what are you doing? Like, like, take him out, take him out. Right. Like, when yeah. you think about like how much things have changed, yeah. I remember a game in like April of 1993 mm-hmm. where like Doc Gooden just throws 141 pitches. <sighs> no big deal. No big deal. No big deal. I was looking at some stats the other day. Do you know that um, the, I believe that I was reading something about like the record for like most. Um, wild pitches Hmm. and it was you know it was done over the course of somebody throwing like you know well over like 200 innings Um, did you realize that like in 1990 um, Doc Gooden threw 232 innings wow and now if you get 180 innings it's not better or worse Mm -hmm. it's just it's stark when you look at how the way players are used has changed and it also like uh, you know, Gooden is one of my all-time favorites. If you look at his numbers, it really puts to rest the myth that he was not a high-quality starter after, say, 1988. Oh, yeah. He was. He was yeah. better than we remember. It's just before that he was in the stratosphere. Yes. Like, he was yeah. better than we remember. I always think about, like, those two or three years that Dontrell Willis yeah. was, like, like a just like a god who had come down from olympus and i forget who i forget what analyst or sportscaster i heard say this but it really sort of like like opened up this window in my head of like oh yeah that's right they were making the point that dontrell willis's best years in the major leagues he was 19 20 21 when you're that age your body is still growing and that he may have actually grown to a place where the physics of his body could not do the same thing. Yeah. And it's like, how do you, how do you criticize someone for just, you know, sure. growing up or he like, damaged his body something. while he was still young. So anyway. 
Anyway, I'm getting off track here, as I often do. So, at this point, we get through the 8th, and I am like, oh my god, this is happening. Now, at this point, you know, I've talked about my dad a lot on the podcast. My dad is no longer with us at this point Mm -hmm. um, in 2012. He had been gone for a couple of years. But that was a point where I would have definitely not been calling him, but sort of sending out the psychic message, Mm -hmm. like, you better be watching this. Mm -hmm. And I know he would have been watching it. And he would have been, he would have called me and said, hey, I can't tell you why, but put the game on. (laughs) So I'm just committed. I'm in pain. I'm committed. Ninth inning starts. And Howie is on top of his game. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I love Howie Rose. I love Howie Rose back when he used to do the Mets pregame show Mm -hmm. on WFAN in the late 80s. Like, I'm so glad that he got the, he's gotten the chance to be the radio voice of the franchise. Like, as Mets fans, we are so lucky that we have had such a rich history of great announcers and how he definitely fits into that. And that night may have been one of the best broadcast nights I've heard him do. Um, and I think some of the things that happened in 2015 may have <laughs> superseded that. Yeah. But that for that night, like, oh, this is a guy who's waited his, his whole life to do this. Mm-hmm. Guy who grew up a Mets fan. Like, I felt like this is the beauty of Howie is that you feel like you have all been through the same stuff with him. Yeah. And he has seen things that we didn't see. <laughs> and I felt like he was there with all. He was there yeah. on the treadmill with me. <laughs> so what happens is Santana, one out. Santana, two outs. Last batter. I'm still moving. I'm at nine <laughs> miles at this point. Wow. I have gone... Wait, so you you set out to run three, three. and you're at nine. Yes. Oh, my. So I have... No, I've slowed down. I'm walking mm-hmm. at this point. But I have gone three times the recommended allowance of mm-hmm. what I should be running because baseball. Right. Two strikes, two outs. I'm meant to one strike away from a no-hitter. The feed cuts out. <gasps> oh, my God. And I can't get it back. Nothing will bring it back for me. I try to reload it. It won't load. All of a sudden, I'm in a dead zone. I can't load game day to see how the game ends. Oh my god. I am unable to pick up any signal. Like, I can't text anybody. Uh I'm just in a complete dead zone. Somebody set off an EMP right next to you. Right. Wow. Two outs, two strikes in the most exciting game of my life. I cannot connect to anything. So all of a sudden I get off the treadmill. No offense to my fellow gym users. I did not wipe down the treadmill. (laughs) I just got off the treadmill, went to the locker real quick, grabbed my gear and ran out to the car to drive away from where I was <laughs> so I could get a signal because my gym happened to be across the street from LAX. Uh-huh. And every now and then, the radio signals and whatever mm-hmm. just cuts everything out for my oh then my phone God. provider. So I run nine miles. I'm just about to find out what happens. Cuts off. I have to get in my car. I've got the radio on, but I'm in LA. Right. So For those of you who haven't been to L.A., L.A. sports talk radio is the worst thing that ever existed (laughs) because it's 24-7 Lakers. All I want to do is find out about the Mets and, of course, where am I going to get that on L.A. radio? So I have to get in the car, drive about three miles away. Oh, my God. So then I can finally load a score. And that is how I find out that Johan Santana had thrown... A no-hitter. Wow. And I missed the end. Oh, that's And then the thing was, you know, I had texted my wife earlier to say, like, hey, if you get a chance. Yeah. And she hadn't gotten home yet, so didn't get a chance to do that. To this day, I have never seen the broadcast of that game. Oh, wow. Never seen it. Um, I never, I never, I've heard Howie's call of the end Uh um, the next day. But I have never actually seen the Santana no-hitter. I did feel it. And the delay in getting, like, did he do it or did he not? Oh, There's just this, like, 10-minute period where I'm in this sort of liminal space where nothing exists and nothing is going on. Oh. And I don't know. It's as if the world has tried to keep this information away from me. Schrodinger's no-hitter. <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> and it's like, if I never look it up, he's done it. Wow. <laughs> and it turns out he did. Oh. And it is a memory that I will carry with me forever. And every time I think of that game, I will think of running nine miles and then not knowing what happened. Well, I, I, I'll say it again. You and Mike Baxter both deserve credit for giving your body up in order to make uh, Santana's no-hitter happen. I remember I was at work and I, I couldn't leave it until it was about the seventh inning or so. And I remember speeding home, listening to the seventh and the eighth inning on on uh, the at-bat app in my car mm-hmm. and then come getting home in time for the ninth and coming home and, and, and my wife was home at that point and I just come barreling in and I'm like, I need the TV now. And I turn on the, 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 the app and I sit there and I watch the ninth inning at home and, and get to see it. And then uh, I remember... I think I, I vaguely remember actually texting you and not getting a reply because now, and now I know why, uh, we're not getting a reply until later. Yes. And I, of course, did call my dad and we, you know, we, we geeked out about that. And yeah. that was awesome. Now, there is this idea that the no-hitter ruined Santana's career because he was never an efficient or effective pitcher after that. Right. And everyone thinks that it's because he threw however many pitches. But what if you'll recall, what actually happened is in his next start... He did make another start. first inning, he, um, I, I forget who they were playing, but the whoever the batter is hit a ground ball to first base and Santana had to cover and the runner spiked his ankle. Oh. And he had an ankle injury... That put him on the DL, and that messed up his mechanics, and that that's what led to his downfall. It's just random luck that it happened one inning after a no hitter. It's amazing though how your brain fills in, yes. and it's like you know our memories can only be trusted to a certain point. Like the only reason I knew how much I ran and when I, is because right after it, I got home and I wrote all of that down, <laughs> yeah. and in fact. I went to my Twitter archives yeah. and found my tweets from the next day Oh wow! Um, to talk about this. Because yeah. I was like, did this happen the way I remember it? And if all I could do is like, oh, go to my primary source, which sure. is, what did I say that day? Mm-hmm. And I found everything. Like I found, you know, Twitter messages, some notes I wrote to myself, a blog post I wrote at the time. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, this happened as I remember yeah. it. Uh-huh. But I didn't remember exactly what happened afterward because in my mind Johan Santana never took the mound again and that is not true <laughs> he disappeared in a puff of smoke yes gone <laughs> he just he was he was gone forever um but that is not what happened and it's a it's an interesting sort of way the way our brains fill in the blanks in a way that is not always which i think correct. brings us back to the beginning of where this all started with superstition yeah. where you know, we want to feel like we have an effect on events that are happening. So we fill in the blanks with our own actions, whether it's wearing seven shirts or circling the block in the car listening so you don't leave, so you don't you ruin the mojo. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's also like our Mets fandom that makes us believe very easily that the thing we had always waited for, the no-hitter was the cause of someone's downfall. Yeah. And of course it wasn't. No. Um, thank you for pointing that out because in sure. my head it's always been, oh, well, I guess he went out on a high note. <laughs> um, he pitched a no-hitter and then we all paid for it. We all paid the price. Yes. Johan Santana maybe the best Rule 5 draft pick of oh, all time. I did not know that. Yeah, Santana wow. was a Rule 5 guy. Huh. Um, I mean, just imagine, you know, if you think about, like, it's so hard to judge what a young pitcher is going to be able to do. Yeah. Um, you know, totally. remember the Dodgers thought Pedro Martinez was never going to, uh, was never going to be durable enough. Mm-hmm. Somebody mm-hmm. thought Johan Santana was somebody who shouldn't be protected. And that's how he ended up Sometimes in Minnesota. Sometimes you get it wrong. Sometimes. But, you know, we talked, we've talked about this before. Like, this is the Justin Turner paradox. Yeah. Like, you let someone like Justin Turner go, does he become 
Justin Turner without that experience. Right. You right. never know. Again, you never know. So much of baseball, as I've come to learn over the years, because again, everybody on the field has got a certain talent level. It's a matter of putting people in the right situations, which is why team construction, mm-hmm. lineup construction, those things, those things matter more than team chemistry. Mm-hmm. You know, like oh, and speaking of team chemistry, so there, there's something we need to talk about that that's happened in this first season that we haven't addressed yet. The salt and pepper shakers. Hate it. Hate, hate it. it. Hate it. Hate it. Hate it. Really? I am the minority here. Do not like it. I never like it when a team all has a thing mm-hmm. because it gives the opposition something to get mad about. Mm. It gives your other team something in the clump has to be like, they start doing that salt and pepper thing, and nobody can see this, but I'm making the move yeah. with my hands. If they start doing that salt and pepper, somebody gets knocked down. I, I That doesn't bother me. That doesn't bother me so much. Um, I was a little like at first. I was like, that feels a little. It feels a little constructed. But then hearing the story that apparently like it started as a joke mm-hmm. from something that Ruben Amaro Jr. said, and then they turned it into a thing. I think though they need to take it to the next step. And here's the next step. You remember in 2000, yeah, when at the end of every uh, Mets win they would play the song L.A. Woman mm-hmm. and Mojo Rising uh-huh. sort of became the thing. I think the Mets need to do that this year, but the song needs to be Push It by Salt and Pepper. And after every game they win, I want them to start playing that over the scoreboard because Salt and Pepper's here. <laughs> yes. I think that'll work. Also, if I remember correctly... Long Island natives, salt and pepper. Sure. So you may be able to get them yeah. to a game. So I want to. I want. I want them to take it to the next step. Nice. Yeah. I. I'm all for this. Okay. Cool. Mets, if you're listening to this, and I know you are, please get just get that playing. End of every game, just every win, and there yes. are going to be 140 of them this year. Yes. A lot of times to spin that record. Yes. We play push it. I like it. Yeah. All right. I'm cool. on board. It's going to be great. All right. We got this figured out. So, let's be realistic. Oh, why start um, now? I know. So, right now, we are talking about the Mets, and because technology is great, we've got the MLB, um, MLB app uh, broadcast of the game on. Steven Matz is about to throw his first pitch. Last week, when we talked about sort of keys to the Mets' success for the rest of this year... The thing that one of the things we talked about was Matt Harvey. Mm-hmm. Now Matt Harvey got off to a great start. Yes, pitched not spectacular, but pitched a solid, um, pitched a solid game. I hope we see that Matt Harvey again. And Matt and Mickey Calloway definitely observed the Terry Collins Memorial take him out an inning earlier rule. Well, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think then you know I'm not saying hey Matt Harvey's great, but he's gotten off to a good start. Mm-hmm. Matt Harvey didn't leave the mound with his head hanging down. Yes. And I think the best thing you can do for Steven Matz is what I'd really love to see from him today is get a good start. Um, Leave the mound feeling good. Because, again, we know a lot of this has to do with, you know, your confidence. Mm -hmm. Are you in a position where you feel you can succeed? Steven Matz today is starting a game against the team that is – the odds-on favorite to run away with the division. And if he can give a solid start and walk away feeling like he kept them in the game, that's something to build on. We always forget that, because we're getting older, Hmm. that these are all kids. Oh, my God. These are all babies. And they're doing something at a level that they've always dreamed of, and they're giving it their best. Um... And I just want to see, I, you know, I, I root for these guys. Yeah. Like they're my own kids and I want to see them succeed. So, you know, I think we talked about Matt Harvey, but I think Steven Matz is as big of a factor. Um, you know, if he is successful, it really does a lot to help this team. You know, that goes without saying. I, 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 I don't disagree, but I, I sort of look at it from a slightly different angle. And this is, you know, to go back to the, the thing we were talking about in the beginning about Gabe Kapler is 
we as fans and the baseball community as large, like, you know that old saying about, like, crabs in a bucket? Yeah. Where, like, you know, everyone just each, if one gets to the top, the other ones will pull them down. Any weakness whatsoever, we'll start worrying about and speculating about. Right. And right now, we don't have a lot of question marks, except for Steven Matz. Yeah, true. The first week of the season. So all of this focus and agita is now heaped on how he does. True. It's not fair, but it is what it is. Well, I mean, so if he does of... one good outing today, he shuts a lot of that up. Mm-hmm. And then we all, you know, can find something else to worry about. Like, oh my God, why is Jose Reyes playing two out of three games at yeah. shortstop as a starter? Um, I would like to, before we sign off today, give a couple of early season awards Ooh, to the team. Okay. Um, I want to first thank um, and call out the good work that Robert Gesellman has done. Oh, yeah. In the first week of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, he has just, he's come in at every spot that Callaway has asked him. Um, he's pitched well. Mm-hmm. Um, Robert Gesellman, I will say, um, is somebody who I've sort of gone back and forth on. I want him to succeed because, again, I always want somebody on the Mets to succeed. But also, um, Robert Gesellman's family is from Southern California. Mm-hmm. And there are times when I have gone to some of the Mets fans in Southern California meetups, and there are like members of the Gesellman family there. Yes. and The home crowd. The home crowd, and they are, like, for them, I want to see him succeed. Yes. And I really hope um, that... He continues this run. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, Callaway has been using him well. I hope he does not overuse him. Um, but I've been really impressed with the jobs, the job he has done in the first week. Anyone you would like to cite for uh, an award? Um, hmm. On the spot here. But let me, uh, let me, um, I'm going to say Dave Island, our new pitching coach. Yeah. Um, who, you know, for years and years and years when we had Dan Worthen, there was always this, like, sense of, like, oh, he's, like, the mastermind and, and everyone loves him. But I, I, did we ever really see anything that he did? I don't know. Like, it was hard to tell. Right. Um, and there just seems to be a different sensibility coming from Dave Island. It's, it's hard. I mean, it's hard from where we sit to see, like, exactly what it is. But everyone seems to just have a different edge to them. And some of that could simply be the newness of it. It might be that. You know, Casey Stengel always had had the famous line where the key to managing is keeping the five guys who hate you away from the five guys who haven't made up their mind yet. True, true, true. So is it a thing where, hey, nobody's tuned Callaway and Island out? Yet. Winning tends to yeah. tends to do that. Oh, okay. Here's here's the person who I really wanna 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 shout out at this point. And that's Brandon Nimmo, mm-hmm. who like it's like they have 24 players on the roster and a puppy, and like you see him like like as wherever he walks, whoever he passes, people just start smiling, even people on the opposing team, and yep. like it's just this infectious energy, and that's really exciting. He plays with the enthusiasm of Pete Rose without being Pete Rose. That, <laughs> that is a very good way of putting it. I, re- I really like it. You know, and you got to love somebody with a high on base percentage. Heck yeah. Who's willing to do whatever, it's gotta, whatever it takes to get on base. Um, I also have been very impressed with the, um, the job Kevin Ploiecki has done. Yeah. Um, you know, th- again, there's not a lot to be small sample size upset about. <laughs> we'll see how the catching position sort of shakes out, but yeah, there's a lot to be excited about. And final award for the mm-hmm. early season, mm-hmm. we need to give the medical miracle fast recovery award to Michael Conforto. Wow, the um, scooter. Yeah, your back. Was, that was that was that was something else to to come back. In less than a week, and hit a home run in the first game. As Jay Bruce said, his first two at bats were his um, his rehab at bats. <laughs> Third at bat was where the season started. Um, I was at work on um, was it Wednesday, um, which was the day game. I'm losing track. Thursday, Thursday. Um, so I was at work on Thursday for the day game, um, and here in Conforto, Gertie, hearing Degrom. 
get out of that jam. Yes. And then Jay Bruce just kind of lofting one up in the air that carried and carried. Um, I am super excited. And I'm just, you know, I, I'm constantly reminded of just how happy I am to have Jay Bruce back on this team. Yeah. And I love the fact that Jay Bruce clearly wanted to be a Met, mm-hmm. took a little bit of a discount mm-hmm. to be a Met. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope he has a great run. I had said after that first run, remember when, when Bruce first joined the team in 2016 and struggled? Yeah, he, was, he was struggling, yeah. And then when he was very successful in 17 and then got traded, you know, I think the conversation you and I had was I'm really glad that Jay Bruce got a redemption arc in New York. <laughs> yes. Because he's a good guy and yes. he deserves it. Yes. And the fact that he's back, and again, early in the season, but contributing, is solid. The other thing about Bruce that constantly, constantly kind of, I have to remind myself, and it's surprising every time I do, he's been in the major leagues like for a dozen years so he feels like he's been around forever, but he's 30 years old. Yes. <laughs> like, like he is 30 years old. He's a child. I also think, here's the one that always gets me, and we've talked about this, yeah. I think, on the air. Mm-hmm. How old is Estrubal Cabrera? Oh, my God. He looks 50. I always think that Estrubal Cabrera is, is um, Julio Franco's age. <laughs> And part of it is because he moves like like Red Fox. But I'm always shocked to realize He's that... He's what, 33? 32? 32? The fact that Estrubo wow. Cabrera is 11 years younger than I am... Wow. Um, blows my mind. He always reminds me of... I'm totally drawing a blank on the batter. He was on the, the 2015 Mets utility infielder... Oh, I'm drawing a blank on his name. Looked about 70 years old. <laughs> I will fill this in later. I cannot think of the, the batter's name all of a sudden. <laughs> um, but yeah, I always think Cabrera is a is much older than he is. Because again, he's had 11 years yeah. of Major League Service. When you mm-hmm. come in at 20 years old as yeah. a shortstop, you know, in 2007, you're going to... You're going to yeah. string some years together. Yeah. Talk about having a great career kind of under the radar. Sure. Um, but yeah, let's just hope we stay healthy. Look at that. Six games into the year and I'm weak. <laughs> but let's just hope everybody okay. stays healthy. We're just going to have to accept that, that, that when things are going well, they're we. And when things are not going well, it's them, the, the, those, those guys. Those, those losers. Your Mets are really yeah. blowing it out there. I was going to say dem bums. But yes, that's, you but know, somebody, somebody already different. took that. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Side note. Brooklyn wasn't that great back in the 50s. <laughs> you know, I'm tired of... Uh, you know what? Uh, that's a side note. We'll leave that for another day. That's another day's podcast. Yes. yes. So, the good news is that Stephen Matz has just gotten out of the first inning unscathed. So, uh, good for him. We are off to a good start. Any uh, any last words before we sign this off? Um, I think but by the next time uh, we uh, we speak on Mike, um, the Mets will be 18-3. and three. And um, that'll feel good. I will tell you this: if the Mets somehow make it to eighteen and three, <laughs> I will eat this microphone that I am speaking into. That is, that is a Flushing Transit Authority guarantee. <laughs> I am looking at a sizable uh, Blue Yeti USB microphone. I will eat the entire microphone and the cord if the Mets go eighteen and three. Well, if it comes to that, I will bring the salt and pepper. <laughs> Excellent callback. Everyone, thank you for listening. As we say here, we will see you at the baseball movies.